their message always to everybody through all their advertising, all their PR, everything is, we are your friends. And it's like, no, you are not our friends. Friends are not people whose bottom line is how much profit they can make out of you. It is completely different. Guerrilla Radio, knowing who our real friends are since 1999. We're running out of time to put out a fire. And welcome back to Guerrilla Radio. Well, there was a time not so long ago, war profiteers were held to be exemplars of humanity's basest instincts, antitheses of virtue, the very worst of the worst of the evildoers. They were rightly and roundly despised. Now, though, CEOs of Lockheed Martin and Raytheon and Boeing and Northrop Grumman and General Dynamics and all their lesser factotums are welcome and well-treated in the halls of power and in major TV studios alike. Today, the profiteers need never fear official opprobrium or being called to account for the bitter harvest of their dark deeds, at least not in the courts of the land. But there's another weighing of justice at hand. The Merchant of Death War Crimes Tribunal is coming soon, and it promises to hold accountable the manufacturers of the weapons that kill combatants and non-combatants alike through the testimony of witnesses to the destruction wrecked and the crimes committed against humanity with them. Brad Wolf is co-founder of the Peace Action Network of Lancaster, Pennsylvania. It's an affiliate of Peace Action and a partner of World Beyond War. He's a lawyer, former prosecutor, professor, community college dean, and full-time activist for peace and justice. Brad's writings are published at The Progressive, Common Dreams, Counterpunch, Antiwar.com, Consortium News, and Dappled Things, among others. He recently authored a book on former priest Philip Berrigan's collected writings, A Ministry of Risk. He's also a key organizer with the Tribunal. Welcome to the program, Brad. Thank you so much, Chris. It's great to be here. Well, it's my pleasure, of course, to speak with you. Now, Brad, uh, though the tribunal's presentation phase is slated to begin in November, there's plenty of work to be done right now. What's the Merchant of Death War Crimes Tribunal process, and what are you guys doing at this moment? So we've been working on this actually for a year now. So it's going to be almost a two-year process by the time we hit next November and have the tribunal itself. And what we're attempting to do And when I say we, I'm working with Kathy Kelly and Nick Modern, both very well-known and longtime peace activists. And what we're attempting to do is to have a people's tribunal, a public tribunal, and try to look at war and the devastation it wreaks from the perspective of victims. And also try to see where the profit is in war, what is driving war. There have been other people's tribunals in the past. Bertrand Russell did the tribunal in 1966, where he put on the American government for atrocities in Vietnam. And in 2005, there was the World Tribunal on Iraq. There was the uh, Code Pink Tribunal on Iraq in 2017. But what we wanted to do here was put the focus on weapons manufacturers rather than the American government, because we believe profit drives war. We believe these weapons manufacturers have tremendous influence in conducting foreign policy in the United States. They are freely walking in the halls of Congress, the White House, and the Pentagon. And where there's money to be made on death and destruction, particularly of innocence, of non-combatants, that's where we want to shine a light. And so our goal is to put a face on these ugly deeds of war, to let the American people and hopefully the world realize 
that many of these wars are be conducted to enrich certain people, a small majority of people, and that these folks are really not bashful about it. They uh, they hold their shareholder phone calls. They're basking in the glory of Ukraine and all the deaths there because armament sales are increasing. And they've planted people throughout our American government and the media in order to enhance our ability to quickly go to war unnecessarily. It's known as the revolving door. For instance, our current Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, is a perfect example. He was, of course, a general in the United States military for many years. He then retires, becomes uh, a member of the Board of Directors at Raytheon, where he earns great money. He's now Secretary of Defense, where he directs contracts to go to Raytheon for great dollars. He will return to Raytheon once he's done at the Pentagon. And this revolving door of military figures going to weapons contractors, public office, sitting on the media as an analyst and back creates a narrative very difficult to defeat. And that narrative is a pro-war narrative. And the cost of that pro-war narrative is not just dollars that are taken from the American taxpayer, but there are lives that are cost uh, abroad, needlessly cost abroad. So our, our aim is to put these weapon manufacturers on trial. We have charged them with crimes against humanity and war crimes. These are official crimes recognized by the International Criminal Court. And though our tribunal is not a legal tribunal, it is a people's tribunal, we nevertheless are following the rules of procedure in serving them with subpoenas, serving them with contempt citations, providing them the opportunity to appear before us. And then there will be uh, a jury uh, comprised of judges in November who will listen to all the evidence we compile and they will render a verdict. Brad, now when you when you say that you're going to go after uh, the corporations and not the government, as you outlined yourself, how do you make? Is there even such a distinction in modern day America between the corporate world and the gov and the government? They seem so interconnected, so interlocked. This revolving door you mentioned is just one aspect of that. But how are these things even to be separated? It's very difficult to separate them in this day and age. You know, we, we live in corporate tyranny here in the United States. Corporations run our wars. They run our media, uh, our food, our prisons, our schools. Um, there has been a, a corporate capture of America to a large degree. It's particularly dangerous when they have held captive American foreign policy and war making policy. Um, that is to be the people's choice. That, of all things, should be up to the citizens of the United States. And to have it held by corporations and shareholders who have a profit motive to do this is particularly dangerous. So that is what we're going to try to do in the tribunal. We're going to try to make that distinction. We're going to try to remind Americans that there should be a distinction between corporations and the American government. And that if you look at Raytheon, we've indicted four weapons manufacturers as uh, representative of the entire U.S. war industry. Those four are Raytheon, Boeing, Lockheed Martin, and General Atomics. And if you look at the profits that these companies are making, anywhere in the order of 20 to 30 billion per year, um, and the kind of lifestyles that their CEOs are living, uh, it's going to really put a face on what is happening here. So. Last November 10th, uh, we went to Washington, D.C. to serve subpoenas on each of these four corporations. And uh, we had a great group of people with us. Uh, we tried to generate some media attention. We had some, not as much as we wanted, since the media is embedded with the corporations. 
But nevertheless, we serve the subpoenas on them. And we just returned on Valentine's Day, February 14th of this year, and filed a, uh, a citation of contempt against these corporations because they had failed to comply with the subpoena that we had provided to them earlier. And again, th these are not quote, legal subpoenas, but this is meant to demonstrate that the citizens of the United States are intent upon taking action. And as we increasingly publicize this with very notable figures who are part of this tribunal, Cornell West, Richard Falk, Ann Wright, Bill Quigley, Marjorie Cohn, um, there are a number of very prominent individuals who are participating. We hope all that is going to generate some publicity and some education to the American people. We're also working with colleges and universities across the country to try to have this material integrated into curricula so that students will become a part of it and become aware of the military industrial academic media complex that has a stranglehold on our political and economic systems. Well, yeah, when you talk about the people's choice, the, the idea that there is a choice for peace is something that might come a, a, as a surprise to people who spend their days in front of Fox or MSNBC, where the choices are usually limited to which countries to destroy and, and how severely to prosecute the various wars against them. The declaration of war, though, as far as that being a, a choice of the people, that hasn't occurred in the United States in generations. I, I'm not sure when the last actual declaration declaration or, or declared war was, I, I think it might have been World War II. Is that right? It was. It was World War II. And Vietnam was a, a congressional resolution, the Gulf of Tonkin resolution. And uh, of course, Iraq was the AUMF, the authorization to use military force. And it's under cover of those resolutions, those congressional resolutions, not former declarations of war, but the AUMF in particular, which has generated the last 20 years of the wars of terror, these endless wars, wars of choice. And, you know, we are fighting wars right now in Syria. We're supporting wars in Somalia. We've got troops in Congo, active combat in Congo, um, and not to mention still over the horizon actions killing people in Iraq and Afghanistan. So this country is at war right now without congressional approval. It just this very vague AUMF resolution that a number of peace groups are trying to get um, re revoked, having it withdrawn. It, it keeps failing, um, but you know that it, it's really absurd that tax dollars from from every American up to a trillion dollars a year now is being spent on war making. You look at the State Department, which is our Department for Diplomacy. Their budget is about sixty-eight billion a year as opposed to a trend. It tells you where our values are as a country, and it's very disturbing. Yeah, and that's what I wonder about too, uh, Brad, when you when you talk about you know, the citizens being responsible uh, and who profits from these wars. Well, there's shareholders in within the Congress. Uh, I can't remember the figure, but I think it's like 70 plus percent of the members hold shares in these war-making corporations. They profit themselves. They don't have to live the lifestyle of a CEO, for example, but they're still doing very well, thank you, and especially in these last years. Also, these uh, companies put uh, manufacturing um, uh, in installations in all ridings, as we call them here, but in, in all jurisdictions in the United States where it becomes a local political uh, issue for people to support these war companies and by extension what they are what they make their product for. 
It, it does. They're very clever about what they what they do. Very evil in what they do, but very clever about it. For instance, Boeing will um, have plants in all congressional districts across the country in order to so, uh, create jobs, but also to put pressure on congressmen in each of those districts to not vote against any weapons programs. Now, it would be more cost effective for Boeing to have everything in one place, but Boeing, Lockheed Martin, Raytheon, they spread it out among congressional districts in order to put pressure on these uh, congressional representatives. Um, as you mentioned, the Congress uh, people in Congress, they own shares in these companies. Uh, they're making money off of that. The other very disturbing aspect of this is that these weapons manufacturers give direct payments to the campaigns of these congressmen and senators. So you have members of the Armed Services Committee, and this is the committee that is approving contracts for the Pentagon. And you have members receiving large campaign donations from Boeing, Raytheon, Lockheed Martin. And of course, they turn around and then approve large contracts to Boeing, Lockheed Martin, and Raytheon. So uh, if that's not bribery, I don't, I don't know what is. Now, they hide behind a cover of this is for national defense. But when the United States is spending more than the next 10 countries combined on national defense, you really have to ask, how much is enough? And when you arm this country to the teeth like that, it's going to be used. Inevitably, it's going to be used to draw down the inventory so they can produce more weapons. Well, and more insidiously, they hide behind the First Amendment saying that money equals free speech. And doesn't Lockheed Martin have the same rights to free speech that, as expressed by the money that they give to government to further the political goals that they have an interest in, as, as well as every other corporation in America? Yeah, our, our, our lovely Supreme Court declared that corporations are people and um, have the right to free speech and, and that donating to political candidates is uh, a, a right of free speech. And therefore, Raytheon, with billions of dollars in its pocket, can give unlimited funds to my congressman, me, with very limited funds, uh, can only give so much. Now, who is my congressman going to listen to? Well, if you've just tuned in, you're listening to Grill Radio. I'm speaking with Brad Wolf. Brad's a co-founder of the Peace Action Network of Lancaster, Pennsylvania, a lovely little area. It's affiliated with Peace Action and a partner of World Beyond War. Uh, we've talked to David Swanson here many times from that organization. He's a lawyer, former prosecutor, professor, community college dean, and full-time activist for peace, working for peace and justice. We're talking today about the upcoming Merchant of Death War Crimes Tribunal. Well, Brad, when you say that these companies declare themselves people, how? what are the mechanics of prosecuting these corporations? Are you to prosecute the CEO or the chief econ uh, financial officer or uh, other officers on the board of directors or the company itself? How, do, how does this prosecution work? So what we've done in the original subpoenas and indictments that we created, um, and again, these are people's subpoenas, so I just want to be sure the listeners understand that this is not happening in a court of law. This is happening in the court of public opinion. And what we've done with the subpoenas is we named the CEOs of each of these four corporations, these four representative corporations, named them, but are also indicting the corporation because under the Geneva Convention, corporations which participate in war crimes can be held liable. And so we're operating on that premise as well. So as we go after the CEOs, we recognize that CEOs change. And so it's not just about demonizing one person, it's about 
recognizing a system that is creating death and destruction across the globe and using our tax dollars to do it. So when we get down to Washington and we confront these companies, we say not with our dollars and not in our name. And that's the point that we're trying to get across to these corporations. And hopefully we can bring a, a, a light to them to, to get them to at least respond. A really interesting fact, when we went to Raytheon, both in November and this last February, they have this enormous building in Arlington, Virginia, which is just a stone's throw from the Pentagon, right? I mean, it makes it very easy for the revolving door to go back and forth. And by the way, Raytheon literally has a revolving door in its entrance, which I thought was very, <laughs> very interesting. So, so we go there, um, and it's an enormous building with a Raytheon letters at the top. It says Raytheon. You can't miss it. But when you go inside... Nobody, not security, not reception, uh, nobody will confirm or deny that Raytheon is in the building. And when you try to find out which floor the executive offices are on, they're not listed anywhere in the directory. Nobody will uh, admit that they're there. When we were there, the police were called because we were doing a nonviolent demonstration with banners and subpoenas. The police would not confirm that they were there. We said it's on the building. We know they're here. They, they would not confirm it. So when we went, that happened in November. When we went back, in February, they were waiting for us and, and, and they had the police all lined up outside. And again, there was maybe 12 of us and probably 12 police too. And we began to enter the building as we had tried to before. And they said, you cannot enter the building, nor can you stand on the sidewalks because Raytheon has now purchased the sidewalks. And when we mm -hmm. asked, how can a private organization purchase public sidewalks? They provided us with a deed that said that they had done just that. So to me and to the rest of our organization, it demonstrated a level of shame that Raytheon has about what they do. Uh, you know, they didn't want to be confronted. They don't want to be known to necessarily be inside that building. They didn't want to speak to us. Um, and I, I just wonder, what's it like to work at a company where you have to be ashamed of, of where you work? We are not a rabble-rousing bunch. I mean, I was dressed in a suit and tie, and we were all very, you know, organized, peaceful, and cooperative. But I found that very interesting that that level of shame exists at these corporations. It's tempting to uh, illustrate these the evils that these companies do from the top down, but when there's tens of thousands of everyday people working there, if relying on their jobs to pay the rent and do all those other things, uh, it becomes a, a more of a gray area. We've seen in the last couple generations that the American economy is more and more entwined in the war making and pre preparation for war making industries. Uh, I wonder at what point it's possible to put an end to this thing without killing the body politic entirely. Yeah, it is. It, it's our number one export weapons, um, which is really un, unfortunate. Uh, I think it speaks to spiritual and moral issues that are of concern here in the United States. But what we're asking these corporations to do is not close their doors, but to participate in economic conversion. The resources that these companies have, the, the uh, engineers, the scientists, I mean, if you think of the level of ingenuity that exists in all of these companies, if they would convert to life-sustaining enterprises, whether it be green energy or, or medical care or anything else, think of the good that they can do. And all these employees don't have to lose their jobs. They can still use their degrees and their engineering and their brilliance in order to advance life rather than to destroy it. 
So when we went to Washington, we were not saying close the doors and all of you people who work here, particularly, you know, middle level or lower level folks, you know, in the enterprise, we were not condemning them, but saying, have a discussion with your colleagues today about whether you can participate in some kind of organization to get the company to convert economically and produce uh, not weapons, but life-sustaining elements. Yeah, David Swanson uh, of World Without War argues very uh, convincingly ab about the economics of military spending and and how it's a very, uh, when you look at it, the, the actual return to the people, to the economy uh, is very low. Mm -hmm. That's correct. Uh, there's been all these economic studies done that um, for uh, every dollar spent or every $10 spent, you could have $10, time, $10, $10 spent on the military, you would have 10 times more jobs created if it were spent on non-military items. Um, spending on military is a very ineffective way to create jobs. And if the government is trying to create a jobs program, Doing it through the military is a tremendous waste of our tax dollars, not to mention the morality of killing so many innocents abroad. And uh, that's part of the crux of our case is this knowingly killing innocents abroad. And if the weapons manufacturers try to say, well, we didn't know innocents were going to be killed, all you have to do is pick up a paper uh, to see the number. I, I, I just recently saw that in World War I, 10% of the casualties killed were civilians. In World War II, 40% of the casualties were civilians. In Vietnam, it rose to 70% of the casualties were civilians. And in the Iraq War, it was 90% of the casualties were civilians. So what these wars are doing are, are, are killing civilians. These companies know it. They can't hide behind this false uh, cloud of saying, we think it's legitimate warfare or anything of that kind, if there is such a thing as legitimate warfare. Well, isn't this, though, getting back to the NRA argument that it's not guns that kill people, right. it's people. And so they say, yeah, of course, we built this uh, weapons system, but, you know, we didn't pull the trigger. It's interesting. I, I interviewed Colonel Lawrence Wilkerson as part of the tribunal process, and he was the chief of staff for Colin Powell. And I asked him about his experience dealing with weapons manufacturers. And he says that they are in the room of the Pentagon and Congress. Um, and they create an atmosphere through their influence to uh, have the United States engage in war in particular places. They are not innocent bystanders. They are not simply responding to contracts uh, issued by the Pentagon. They are actually influencing war-making policy. And they're doing so by having such power, such monetary power over the institutions that are supposed to be free from that type of thing. The, the choice to go to war is the most serious choice any country can make, and it is a choice in a democracy that should be shared by the people. Uh, in this country, it is not. Well, that's a fascinating point that they, they are in the room, and it's kind of like Ford and General Motors being in the at the Department of Transportation uh, saying, well, I think you should build more roads because more roads would be great, you know, and so right. they are, they, they, they're not waiting for the market, they're driving the market. Exactly. That's exactly what they do. And that's a, that's a great analogy. It's exactly well, what they do. Well, Brad, we're in a moment of escalation right now. Obviously, what's going on in Ukraine, uh, that is 
involving Canada and all the NATO countries too. Uh, our government, uh, we I use the term ironically, is now pushing very hard for an increase in uh, uh, the military budgets here, as you see that you're well used to in the United States. That's happening across all the NATO countries. My previous guest, Dmitry Laskaris, is going to Russia as an envoy of peace, a citizen's initiative. It's certainly nothing. The, the, our government won't speak to Russia. We discussed that it seems that we in Canada are at war with Russia right now in a de facto sense. It, we're, it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck right now, but there's no declaration here or officially no Canadian soldiers on the ground officially. Uh, and the same is true of the United States. And now there's talk that this is just the warm up for a greater conflagration with China. Uh, what about the situation we're in right now? as we seem to be hurtling towards uh, a next global confrontation. I, I think that's a, a very shrewd analysis. Um, this is a proxy war between the United States and Russia right now, Ukraine I'm referring to. And without a doubt, um, we are making matters much worse. The, uh, we've, we've, a lot of people have come under the false belief that these uh, weapons manufacturers are new gods, are idols. I hear all people always saying, thank God for the weapons manufacturers in Ukraine, because without it, they would not be able to defend themselves against Russia, when in fact, I think arming many of these former Warsaw Pact countries uh, that are now NATO countries with weapons are what have led to this kind of thing, or at least played a key role in provoking the conflict in Ukraine. And the idea that Ukraine is just a, an experimental battlefield to test out United States weapons for a greater war with China is a very real possibility. This was done in the Spanish Civil War in the 1930s when Nazi Germany and the Soviet Union used Spain as a testing ground for their weapons prior to World War II. And there is a lot of talk that that's what's being done in Ukraine right now. And uh, as they say here in America, America is willing to fight until the last Ukrainian uh, in this war. Uh, we're not exposing ourselves greatly, at least not yet, but we are financially exposing ourselves. But the Ukrainians and the Russians are ter taking terrible losses. Um, and it's, you know, they're probably, they're, again, the weapons manufacturers are showing record profits, right? Yeah. Uh, fossil fuel companies and, re and weapons manufacturers are probably two of the only sectors of the market that are doing well right now. And that's that's very disturbing. Well, and those members of the NATO countries, uh, the Natonians, I'll, I'll call them, uh, including Canada, they should bear uh, a special attention to that because I think America will be willing to fight the Russians and the Chinese to the last Canadian as well. Uh, we're fast out, out of time, Brad, but reiterate, please, the when and where's of the uh, tribunal and how people who are interested can get involved and find you guys. It's the Merchants of Death War Crimes Tribunal. And uh, if you go to www.merchantsofdeath.org, all of our information is there, um, exactly who is uh, involved, how people can get involved. We have a number of videos um, that we've recorded already that are there. If people want to do things like print a subpoena to subpoena their congressional representative or their government official or their bank president, they can print a subpoena and deliver it to them in an action, a protest action. And a lot of people are doing that. 
And if you go to that website, you will be kept abreast of everything that we are doing. The tribunal itself will be filmed and premiered in November over a series of weeks. We're starting it November 10th, 2023, and it will be available. Uh, we hope to show it across the globe through YouTube and Facebook, and then have the tribunal watching these pre-recorded testimonies of victims and military analysts proving our case, and then they will render a verdict. But again, it's www.merchantsofdeath.org. Well, thanks a lot, uh, Brad, for coming on today and, and telling us uh, a little bit about that. Eh? Thank you so much for having me, Chris. Really appreciate it. Well, it's my great pleasure. And thanks, too, to Dimitri Lascaris. And remember, his webinar is the 18th coming. That's Saturday, March 18th at 12 noon. Go to Dimitri's website, dimitrilascaris.org. You can find out more information about that there. Thanks again, Brad. Okay, thank you. You have a great day. When nothing is as it's presented. It's a bit like discovering that your favorite uncle has um, taken you for walks in the park, gather that he's, a, he's really a serial abuser. You need a different source. Guerrilla Radio, a century of news every Thursday and Saturday.